This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Michael Arnfield is a Canadian academic, author, true crime broadcaster, former police officer, and a whole lot more. And he weighs in on the Oakley Show at Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Michael, good to have you back on board. Good afternoon. How's it going, John? Thanks for having me back. So, Michael, I mean, uh, with all your experience, how do you figure that they've eluded the manhunt for this long? Well, that's the question everyone's asking. If Even if they are purported uh, survivalists, as some of the photographs depict, uh, you know, without proper gear and food, and there's no evidence they have that, how are you going to survive outside, especially in, in that harsh terrain with that kind of wildlife this long? So let's, let's bear in mind, first of all, that they're not at York Landing. That was a red herring. Uh, but, I mean, even during the searches in, in Gillum, um, it's, it's quite possible that uh, while they were seen maybe going into the woods, or that's the theory because no other cars were reported stolen, uh, the pattern thus far has been, so the best indication of future behavior for an offender is previous behavior. The pattern till now has been that they acquire a new vehicle, and we know that in one case uh, that involved murdering the owner-occupant uh, and then burn their last vehicle. And this last vehicle was found burned, uh, and they're nowhere now to be found. And unfortunately, deploying to uh, York Landing has bought them uh, essentially a week and they could be anywhere at this point, assuming they have procured another vehicle. I think it's very unlikely they've gone to ground there. And if they have, I'd be surprised if they're still alive. Well, interesting. You say if they've procured another vehicle, although there were no reports of missing or stolen vehicles, is it possible something slipped through the cracks? Maybe somebody who was away uh, hasn't reported it because they've not come to Gillum. We were told earlier, I guess uh, a day or so ago, that a lot of people vacate that place and go elsewhere for the summer. So they might have found, I don't know, a place with a vehicle and keys still somewhere uh, hanging by the door and took that and be long gone. Is that what you're saying? That's one possibility, and that's uh, the type of community where that's still how people would sort of stow their vehicle for the short term. Uh, the other option is someone uh, traveling through, much like they were, uh, who isn't a resident and or something to have happened uh necessarily wouldn't come to the attention of, of local law enforcement. The third is that uh, this person wasn't asked and didn't, as the Mounties uh, described it, inadvertently help them, and that they're a victim and they're no longer with us to make the report. Again, with Michael Arnfield, Canadian academic author and true crime broadcaster. Here's the other thing that's uh, bewildering, and even to the individual involved, there was a gentleman who now, uh, he, from Sudbury, but he was visiting a relative in Cold Lake, said he had actually helped them to uh, tow that RAV4 uh, when they were still not described as the people who were uh, complicit in the murders of these uh, three individuals in B.C. He just found them in a field, I guess, in Cold Lake uh, with mud. The car had been stuck in the mud, the RAV4, and helped to tow it out with his truck. And he was, you know, he said he'd left the keys in there and uh, his wallet and everything like that. They did not kill him and then burn that vehicle there and take his brand new truck, which might have even stood them in better stead. Any idea what the psychology was there? He's feeling like he dodged a bullet, literally and figuratively, perhaps. 
I think he did. And I wonder if that would have ended differently had he come across him a day later when the narrative started to change as to who they were. Um, at that point, they figured they were still in the clear. Now he would have made an easy victim for the reasons you mentioned. Uh, we see this time and again from, I mean, uh, um, whether it be school shooters at Columbine who indiscriminately spare the odd person or, or whether it's uh, Richard Ramirez, the night stalker, one of the worst serial killers on record who, for reasons even he couldn't explain, the victims couldn't explain, just let uh, a single victim live. There's a saying in criminology and actually an adjunct of criminology called victimology that every crime begins and ends with the decision made by the victim. And that's not to put the onus on the victim, but there may have been something about this guy, the way he carried himself, uh, the fact that he did have a truck and may also have been armed for whatever reason. They opted to uh, just sort of play along and, and, and not make a move on this guy, uh, even though, yeah, they were they were in the clear. They weren't even being looked for at that point. Uh, and like you said, could have turned one vehicle into two or at least into a newer vehicle that would have put them in, a, in better stead and then served as better cover. Is it possible they might have felt some remorse for the previous killings, allegedly, or uh, had been racked with guilt and thought no more? Or is does it get easier to kill and uh, it passes prologue since they've already killed, as is alleged, uh, they would have found it easier? Yeah, when we, so when we look at the psychology of team offenders, so two or more killers in tandem, particularly when they conduct ma- multiple murders, so whether it be mass murders at a single location in a single incident or a serial murder, which is what this qualifies as, allegedly, again. Um, yeah, no, with, with each new uh, killing, that bond becomes further galvanized and, and it actually becomes easier to become desensitized. I mean, someone who has the proper sympathetic and empathetic responses to feel badly about murdering three innocent people, including, I mean, uh, what it looks like, people who were friendly with them and may have even tried to help them, uh, doesn't then all of a sudden become turned inside out with guilt and, and want to if that was the case, I think they'd pop up by now and be in custody. The reality is I think this is part of an odyssey for them, and it ends when it ends. Well, that's the other thing. Uh, I mean, if they're on the run and they feel like this time around maybe they've slipped the noose, uh, where and how does this end, uh, You know, or do they keep running indefinitely until they're caught? Do we know? Well, we, when we look at about 120 teen killers uh, in the history of the United States who are well-documented, the vast majority are what we call place-specific killers. So they'll either lure victims to their farm or, or to a specific location, or they'll troll city streets in a neighborhood that where they have home field advantage, so to speak. A small handful are what we call highway killers. Uh, or This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. For, um, or, or non-place-specific interstate killers. And uh, what we see in those cases that yeah, there really is no plan. Uh, I'll go back to sort of the primordial cases, Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate, who in 1958 in uh, Nebraska and Wyoming went out and, again, just a, sort of a, a, a road trip where they were killing people and there was no, there was no plan. And they are at large for 60 days. 
so, I mean, we may just be seeing the beginning of this. And in a similar part of the world, uh, I mean, just below Manitoba, in, in effect. And um, in that case, yeah, it got easier with time. Um, 11 victims in total and uh, very similar behaviors in that um, non-intuitive routes and it, uh, it was largely by luck that they ended up being caught. And in, in this case, I mean, it, it may be a little bit of luck, but at some point, some, they have to pop their head out. Someone will see them again, assuming they're still alive. I'm guessing that they're also being sought internationally. By that, I mean if they made a break for the U.S. border and uh, in some parts of Manitoba, it's been considered somewhat porous. I mean, you have people yep. coming across, you know, uh, with you know, refugee claims and whatever at an illegal crossing or so, uh, could they potentially do that? I've often wondered if they would try that. Uh, if they keep pushing east to Ontario, uh, where things start to get more populous very quickly, uh, and all your media is headquartered, or they go to the U.S., I mean, they're, they're, the risk goes up exponentially. They've been exploiting, essentially, the remoteness of the region where they're at, or where they've been to date, uh, and 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 in so doing, have been able to cross, I mean, tremendous swaths of territory. I mean, if you pull up the map of the route they've taken, uh, I mean, it's impressive the ground they're covering in the, in the time that they are. So uh, in terms of are they, could they have gone south? Could they have gone north? Could they have doubled back uh, west again? Uh, all cards are on the table, especially with the time lost on that uh, on that bad lead. And, that I mean, they could literally be anywhere now. I mean, I was just doing a call-in show earlier today, and someone called in and said, I do not be surprised if you get whether genuine or disingenuine reported sightings of them in downtown Toronto. I mean, they could be there by now, in theory. Lovely thought uh, with Michael Arnfield. I, I guess I was just citing the United States because if they clear the border and, you know, then once they're in the 48 contiguous states, uh, they could head anywhere unimpeded and uh, maybe just, you know, kind of slip into anonymity. Or is that even possible now? Is there enough uh, a heads up to the various law enforcement agencies that they'd be sought no matter the jurisdiction? I can tell you if they end up in the United States, you mentioned, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of blind spots along the border uh, out that way. And they would end up precisely back in the same area where the phenomenon of highway team killing began. I just mentioned uh, Charles Starkweather. Who in that, that case became the, the sort of the inspiration for films like Natural Born Killers in California, where this is what people, the villains in the films do. If they end up there... Uh, again, you'd be surprised in some of these states just at the lack of consistent communication uh, between uh, counties and between states in terms of you've got these siloed record systems. But And that's where the role of the media comes in, in terms of disseminating these images and their last known vehicle to every possible outlet. And it's in time and again, we see in about 90% of cases in the U.S., uh, it's a civilian who who spots them and provides the information that that helps uh, turn the corner in the investigation. And in this case, the Mounties relied on a civilian tip. Dubious how it came in. No clothes. I mean, I'm talking about the one in York Landing now. No clothing description of a very unintuitive place for them to go to begin with. But they have to follow up all leads, so they go all in on that. And in the meantime, burn up a lot of time and resources. Whereas. These guys have had now um, a considerable lead, and I, I think really no one knows anything now about where they may be. But they've got to consider changes of clothes, uh, food, if you're making purchases, you know, gas, uh, maybe, you know, you've got to fill up the tank if you're traveling those great distances and so on and so forth. Isn't the likelihood that somewhere along the line uh, somebody's got to see them? That's precisely it, and um, 
I mean, they're, they're largely off the grid, how they're operating and cash-based purchases. They obviously, they've dumped whatever phone they had. It was probably a burner to begin with. Uh, so conventional sort of uh, technological means of, of tracking them are, are, are done. I mean, at this point, you have to hope they'll have wires up at their families' houses, no doubt, uh, in the event that they do make a call home, either, either to to offer some kind of rationale or to help them make a plea for help who knows but they'll have the houses wired um they'll um i mean at this point be waiting will be a, a devoted team fielding and marshalling tips in the background uh and i think moving forward given the what happened and then on uh, York Landing, and given that they've already had to rebuke people for spreading disinformation on social media about this, moving forward, I think they're going to keep their cards very close, and we're only going to hear information that uh, will directly serve the case, such as if they're able to, to put them in a specific city or uh, associate them with a specific vehicle that citizens need to be looking out for. And up there in northern Manitoba, I mean, is there a risk of search fatigue setting in? Uh, absolutely. So I, I, I'm not sure the average person knows this, but when they say they've, they've searched exhaustively around Gillum, I mean, yes, it's dense brush and yes, it's boggy and marshy and difficult and dangerous, but these aren't people just wandering around, kicking some stones around. This is, these are trained professionals. There's a very prescribed mathematical way by which, uh, land is searched now, whether it be for evidence for missing people or for suspects. And, if they say they're not there, I think you can take that to the bank, that they're not there. So that begs the question, were they ever there? Was the theory that the car was burning, they went on foot and, and into the woods? I, I'm not sure. That's never really been fleshed out why that was a theory and that they, why they, again, went all in on the thought that they went to ground in the woods. They may have very well have acquired a separate vehicle or, as we already talked about, um, located an abandoned property or a seasonal property or, or unfortunately, and I'm thinking of the case of Justin Bork in uh, New Brunswick back in 2014 who killed the Mounties and then he was hiding in the woods and he's caught through aerial surveillance basically getting ready to break into a house and we don't know if anyone was home but had they not caught him then uh, and someone was home, that case may have ended very differently. Understood. Uh, it's a harrowing thought. And, of course, uh, we continue on trying to we're befuddled by this, as are the authorities. Uh, Michael, thanks for putting it into context. I'll appreciate your time very much. Anytime. Thanks, John. You got it. Michael Arnfield, again, a former police officer, true crime broadcaster, and criminologist. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 